Open the Word of God with me, please, to Psalm 4. Psalm 4, in a short little verse by which God spoke to me decades ago, and I'm so thankful. I remember the great joy and peace and glory that came from just meditating on this short, simple little text in my late teen years. Psalm 4, verse 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Stand in awe are words that we had from Psalm 33 and verse 8 that we read earlier this morning. We know what it means. It's a description of the fear of the Lord. It's to recognize the awesomeness, I'll use that word for the sake of the word awe here, of the God that created the heavens and the earth, that is our Father in heaven, and just to delight in Him. Stand in awe and be overwhelmed by the infinite aspects of His attributes that make Him the Lord Jehovah of heaven and earth, the Lord Almighty of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and the verses that we've already seen this morning. He created all things by His Word. He commanded, they stood fast. He brings the counsel of the heathen to nothing, but His counsel endures from generation to generation. Stand in awe and sin not. There ought to be an effect of standing in awe of God And that is hating sin and departing from it. And when we have those two things together, then we have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the way that I want to impress upon you today, is to stand in awe of Him, not hide cowering from Him, stand in awe of Him, and stop sinning. Perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord by cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, as we read in 2 Corinthians 7.1, to open this assembly. Stand in awe and sin not. Those words were very meaningful to me. They still are very meaningful to me. And I hope they will be to you. Most churches do not preach a God that is worthy of standing in awe of Him. There's nothing awesome about Him. He is a loser by every measure. When it comes to the lives of men, he cannot save those he supposedly has purposed to save and so forth and so on. But this one is worthy of our awe, the God of the Bible, the Lord Jehovah. And when we stand in awe and we stop our sinning, because if we truly are standing in awe of him as creator, as judge, as governor, as father, as helper, as defender, As Savior, we want to stop sinning because we know we're displeasing Him. We want to please Him. We're motivated to please Him out of fear of the consequences. We're motivated to please Him because He's such a great being that has revealed Himself to us that we want to do so. And we should commune with our own hearts about the matter. Talk to yourself. Self, quit thinking about all those other little things that want to get into your mind and think about the Lord. 
Think about the Lord Almighty. Think about His greatness. Think about His power. Think about that He's revealed Himself to you. Think about His sovereign government of the world. And so we commune with our own hearts. Self, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He shall yet be the light of thy countenance. He'll yet show you favor. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So we commune with our own hearts. On our beds is a good place to do it where we have the least distractions. And be still. Cut out the activities that distract us. Get away from the people that distract us. Be still. So that we can think and not be diverted in our minds and we can think upon the Lord. I love Psalm 4.4. I want to use it to introduce this message for today's two assemblies about the fear of the Lord. It doesn't say fear of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord is defined in that first compound clause. Stand in awe and sin not. Describes it perfectly. These are the things we want to learn today. We want to stand in awe of God in our whole lives. We want a worldview that is based on the awesomeness of God, and we want it to affect us personally by changing our lives so that we do not sin. And we want to talk to ourselves about this great matter until it becomes our breath, until it becomes the foundation and the criterion and the standard, the measure of everything we say, do, and think. And so we commune with ourselves and talk about it and make this the central point and the foundation for how we think about life. Right. right here in this verse. And we're still before God. You wouldn't be moving around or wiggling much if you were in the presence of the Lord Almighty. He would get your fullest attention right. and He will get your full attention. Let's give it to Him now. Let's turn back in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. It was a passage suggested for your preparatory reading last evening, and I trust that it was profitable to you. I want to direct you to it again as we introduce this great subject. We're just going to take a survey of it today because it is such a broad subject and extensive and pervasive throughout the pages of the Bible that we don't have time to cover it in full depth, but we want to certainly take a good survey of it. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes, which I command thee this day, for thy good. Amen. amen and amen. Notice briefly that it starts out with the fear of the Lord. What does God require of us? The Creator God of the Bible. The Lord Jehovah. What does He require of us? To fear Him. That fear is compatible and connected immediately with walking with Him. Now you don't walk with someone that you are afraid of. You get away from Him. Them. But this is someone that you walk with, and yet you fear Him. Then it says to love Him. 
And so the fear of God is very compatible with the love of God. They are so close to each other that you could almost say that they are synonyms in the Bible, but they are not because one is looking more to displeasing God for the sake of the wrath that He is able to pour out, and that should be there. That must be there. But there's also affectionate love for His loving kindness toward us. And as you go forward in the rest of these nine verses to the end of the chapter, there's positive and negative, positive and negative, all directing us to fear the Lord. You know, the Father that loves His children dearly, and is kind and gentle toward them, but when they sin, chastens them severely, that is a great combination. That's the combination of the God of heaven. That's the combination of a good father, and yet those children don't need to be cowering in the corner because they know He's never going to lay a hand on them unless they have begged for it repeatedly. And God doesn't lay a hand on us unless we have begged for it repeatedly, and then it is done in love, like every father should discipline his children, in love and affection for their perfection. I want you to embrace the fear of the Lord. Because it is throughout the pages of the Bible, and it is the worldview of directing everything you do toward the God of heaven. You trust Him in trouble. You hope for Him and His mercy when you've sinned. You know that He controls the affairs of nations. You revel in His creation. And on and on it goes. Everything is structured around the fear of the Lord. Meaning our respect, our reverence, our love, our obedience, our submission, our trust, our hope is all in Him. It means He is our God. When we say we fear the Lord. When we say we fear the Lord, and it's all capital L-O-R-D, we fear Jehovah. That means Jehovah is our God. Jehovah is the one we worship. Jehovah is the one we trust. Jehovah is the one we pray to. Jehovah is the one we obey. Jehovah is one we do not want to displease. Jehovah's revelations are the revelations we care about. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It does not mean to run and hide. Adam and Eve should not have run and hid in the trees of the garden and blamed each other and blamed the devil, they should have run to the Lord Almighty and begged for forgiveness. Because that's what the real fear of the Lord does. If If you're familiar with Deuteronomy 10, and you could be from last evening, verse 14 is about His creation. Verse 15 is about His election. Verse 16 tells you to cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, just in different words. Verse 17 is His greatness. Verse 18 is His judgment, but it's a different use of judgment than you're used to. It's His care for those that can't care for themselves. And then He he applies it to the Israelites that they ought to do the same. And so the fear of the Lord is taking care of those that God took care of. That's a wonderful thing to fear the Lord. We will take care of the fatherless and the widows. And again in verse 20 it says, Thou shalt fear Him. And here it is more closely connected, though it was also in 12, to serve Him. That is to obey and worship Him. And we want to cleave to Him. We want to stay close. Now, how can you how can you want to cleave to some being that you're afraid of, but this fear, this fear is not dread and terror. It's not pain and trouble. 
It's not discouraging kind of fear. It's a positive kind of fear of respect. Which general do you want to meet in our armed forces? The weakest or the strongest? I, I hope your answer would be, I would want to meet the strongest. Well, we want to meet the God of gods. He's the one we want to fear. But it's fear of respect and reverence toward Him because of His power and His, His Word and His works as we read in Psalm 33. Verse 21, He is thy praise and He is thy God. Look at the great and terrible things that He hath done for thee. Not to thee, for thee. And our God has done great things for us. Whereof we all are glad. And we should be this morning. And then He... You know, for the Israelites in the church of the Old Testament, we had our 35-year history. Well, they had their 215-year history. And that is they went down into Egypt, 70 souls, and they came out a couple million, 600,000 footmen besides women and children. And so there is a description of the fear of the Lord. It's loving Him. I mean, it's compatible with loving Him. It is serving Him. It is walking with Him. It is a worldview that God is all in all. That He is the source of all. He is the end of all. He is going to be my protector and my provider. He is the object of my hope. He is the object of my mercy. He is everything. It's fearing the Lord. We love His Word because it is right and so we obey it. We keep His commandments because they are done in truth. All His works are good. We never question Him. We never criticize Him. We fear the Lord. Look at Exodus chapter 20. Now you may use your iPads, iPhones, and other smart devices. I want to show you just, and we want to get off this subject because it's only a real simpleton in the Bible that thinks that the fear of the Lord is a painful kind of fear. And you know, we get these people that write us because the book of Proverbs has so many references to the fear of the Lord And they're wondering, I thought we were supposed to love the Lord. We shouldn't be afraid of Him. And oh, it takes a while to explain to them, so I send a link. With a little bit of help around it. We don't want to be afraid of Him in in a terrified way, unless you've been sinning. And then He will come after you like He did Jonah. And you could be swallowed by a whale for three days and three nights and then vomited up on shore, and that wasn't pretty. And Jonah figured something like that was going to happen, and he he considered it worthwhile, because he did not want to see Nineveh saved. The Lord has chosen some strange men for His ministry. Exodus 20 and verse 20. Now, the, the situation here is frightening. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Moses exceedingly feared and quaked. But notice what Moses here gets by inspiration to tell the church. Moses said unto the people, this is the the Ten Commandments coming down. This is Mount Sinai all together on fire. It looks like a blast furnace with the heat and the sparks and the smoke blowing up into heaven. And there's a, there's a, a, a rope around the bottom of the mountain. And if any beast, if your little puppy or your little kitty cat went past that rope, it was to be thrust through with darts. They had taken three days getting ready for this meeting with the Lord. They had to wash their clothes, they had to take baths, and they couldn't have sex with their wives. 
They had to be ready and sanctified to meet the Lord. So it's a very sober event. And this blast furnace is going up. And the Lord is speaking with the sound of a trumpet. And it's getting louder and louder. And these commandments come pounding out of that mountain that they're supposed to be keeping. You'd be afraid. But here's the word from God's minister to us. Verse 20, Moses said unto the people, Fear not. Fear not. For God has come to prove you, and that His fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Don't be afraid this way, because God has come to help you be afraid this way for the rest of your lives. He just wants to give you a little demonstration that He's serious about you keeping His commandments. He doesn't want you to be terrified and shaking like you are right now and you want to run away from Mount Sinai. And you know what they said? Don't let God speak with us anymore. Right. You, you come and speak to us, Moses, but we don't want to hear from Him anymore. But God tells us exactly why He did that grand demonstration was to prove them that His proper fear might be before their faces that they would not sin. That He was a great God and holiness is one of His glorious attributes and virtues and that we should live holy lives he doesn't want us afraid of him at night last night anybody get the voice of the lord at your house oh for a long time yes um at 5 45 this morning i was hearing from our brother in the fourth floor of ghs saying the big window gave him a great view of the lightning and the thunder there was some great thunder last night i'm glad that some of you were able to hear it um It's nice reminders of His greatness and glory. And uh, thank you, Lord, for sending it to us last night. You know, when you see a God like that come down on Mount Sinai, if you read the rest of this chapter, you'd be tempted. I mean, you would be encouraged. You'd be encouraged. Forget the word tempted. You would be encouraged never to worship an idol. As it goes on to describe in the next few verses, because what can an idol do? I mean, God gave them such a demonstrative proof of His power and glory that no idol could ever do it. And so it was to prove them that they would not sin. When we know that there's a great God like that, we shouldn't be afraid of His thunder. It's the voice of the Lord whispering to us. But we should be afraid of His wrath in chastening coming upon us because He can take men out like Ananias and Sapphira in the church at Jerusalem. He can take men out like the Corinthians for abusing the Lord's Supper. He is a great and dreadful God that we deal with but He's not dreadful to those that obey Him. So there's all the incentive in the world to obey Him. And to make His fear a positive thing in our lives. Of walking with Him. Of serving Him. Of worshiping Him. Of delighting in it. Of standing in awe. The knowledge of the holy is the beginning of understanding. Knowing God is a wonderful blessing and it is part of fearing Him. Okay, Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19, and this is one of the ways that the Lord redirected me this week for one week, the Lord willing, is because of that proverb that He brought to us out of the 915 on Wednesday. Proverbs 19 and verse 23. Let's just delight in the fear of the Lord. Let's go out of here standing in awe of Him and not sinning. Let's go out of here cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Let's go out of here perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Let's go out of here today and embrace the seven promises of 2 Corinthians 6. 
Let's go out of here today and walk with God. Let's go out of here and serve Him. Let's go out of here and love Him. Let's commune with our hearts upon our beds. Let's be still. That's what I want to leave you with today. I want you to have, I want God to be the center of your lives, the center of your thoughts, the governor of your speech, the restraint on your actions, the delight of your soul, the exercise of your mind. It's the fear of the Lord. Your view of the news. You're going to view the news through the spectacles of the Word of God that there is higher than the highest. What they consider the highest. And there's higher than they. Proverbs 19.23 The proverb that the Lord chose for us by random selection, according to me, this past Wednesday. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Three promised blessings. The life. It tendeth to life. The wicked live. The wicked breathe. The the wicked have a pulse. The wicked have a BP or blood pressure. So what is this life? It's the abundant life. It's the good life. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. It goes right in the direction of life. It results in the certainty of life. As I wrote in the commentary, the word tendeth, as it's used in the Bible, does not mean a possibility or a little bit in that direction. It means it results certainly in life if you fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord results in a blessed, abundant, good life. And if you have the fear of the Lord... You will abide satisfied. You will not just be satisfied a little. You will have permanent satisfaction if you truly fear the Lord and keep up your fear of the Lord. We want to come together, and we are doing it today, to encourage each other to fear the Lord. And the third promised blessing is, evil shall not visit you. God will hedge you about and protect you from evil. Now at times, He may send evil for other and greater purposes in your perfection and His glory. But the general rule here is, if you fear the Lord, you will have the good life, you will have a satisfied life, and He will protect you. That was Psalm 33. That's wherever we turn in the Bible. And like I said on Wednesday evening, let me repeat myself, because repetition is good for learning. Somebody will say, what about Job? And I ask, Why are you asking about Job? Do you really want to learn or are you a scorner? If you're a scorner, you don't really fear God. But we will try to pretend that it's an intelligent question. What about Job? Okay. All his life, he had a hedge about him that everything he touched turned to gold. If there was ever a man in the history of the world with the touch of Midas, it was Job. Satan knew about that hedge and said, there's only one reason that Job is so obedient and such a good child of God. It's because you've hedged him about and everything that he touches works so well. He's rich. Look at him. So, he had the good life. Now, in the end, did he get the good life back? Doubled. He got the good life back doubled. What did he get in between? He got to meet God face to face and he had a new young friend named Elihu that were able to explain to him the truth. That is win, win, win. 
give me a couple of days to scrape myself with a broken piece of pottery and have boils from head to toe if I can have those three things. Now, do you want to tell me he didn't have the good life? He had the good life. He had the good life again. And in between, he got to meet the Lord and he got to meet Elihu. I'm sure that they were friends for a good while. Um, Oh, it's wonderful. Look at that verse. Proverbs 19.23 The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Pastor, what is the fear of the Lord? I want those three things. The fear of the Lord is stand in awe and sin not. Get excited about the Lord. Delight in Him. Stop sinning. Cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and He will draw nigh to you and give you the good life. It's that simple. It's what He wants for His children in this world. The book of Ecclesiastes in the last chapter. Oh Lord, we're thankful that you tell us these things so plainly and you lay out and offer us so many promises, what hinders us from fearing you all the days of our lives and from teaching your fear to our children and to one another and to our children's children. Help us, Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. God picked Solomon. He let Solomon grow up in the household of David. He gave him wisdom above all the kings of the earth. He gave him riches. He gave him power in his position. He gave him beauty. He was one handsome looking dude. The Bible tells us about his two parents and about Solomon, a favored man. God gave him a peaceful reign so that he could spend his time pursuing the philosophical question What is the purpose of man under the sun? Now, in order to be able to find the purpose for man, you need money, influence, power, time, peace, and so forth. God gave all those things to Solomon in spades. And we have in the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of philosophy. Philosophy is the study of the purpose of man. And Solomon answered, the study of the purpose of man. He tried everything. He tried entertainment. He tried building projects. He tried women. He tried joking and laughter and folly. He tried wisdom and understanding. He tried riches. And he said, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Well then Solomon, what is the purpose for life? Let us hear the conclusion It's verse 13 of chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the whole matter? His pursuit with all of his energy and God's gifted abilities to find out the purpose for man under the sun. Let us hear the conclusion. Here's the conclusion. Do you want a summary statement? Do you like getting to the bottom line of an issue? Here's the bottom line. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep His commandments. What does it mean, pastor, to fear God? Stand in awe and sin not. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now I want you to notice that verse 13 is the summary of his philosophical exploration 
and proving during his life. But he tacks on verse 14 to give double weight to this conclusion. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. There's that part that I'm going to call the negative part in that we're going to give an account of our lives to God. Paul would describe it as knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He persuaded men to fear God and to repent of their sins. I want to give you both today, but primarily I want to give you the promises like Proverbs 19.23, but it tends to life. It gives permanent satisfaction and evil won't visit you. Because that's the overwhelming evidence of the Bible as I'm going to show you if we'll have time for me to show you very extensively. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So here at the end of this book of philosophy, he tells us, fear God and keep His commandments. He says, based on the first 12 chapters that I've written, it's the conclusion of the whole philosophical question. But then verse 14 tells us, it'll also put you in good stead for meeting God after this life is over. Now that is good stuff. When you find out, when you find out how you ought to live to maximize the pleasure and purpose of life now and to be ready for that day, then they're good verses. And it's why I would encourage our children to know Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. I hope that many of you could quote at least one of those verses. Could you? Don't tempt me. Ecclesiastes 12.13. It's a great verse. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. We know the answers to philosophy. It's the fear of the Lord. Because of that 14th verse, let's look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Let's live our lives in the fear of the Lord. Let's enjoy God's blessing on us and have a worldview that is based on hoping in Him Trusting Him, believing Him, knowing that everything in the universe came from Him. Everything in the universe will return unto Him. He will perfect everything. There's only one God in the universe. You know, when the Bible says, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, it's only talking about the fear of Jehovah God of the Bible and not any other deity as we tried to say in our commentary on Wednesday for Proverbs 19.23. Luke chapter 12 And verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ said, And I say unto you, my friends, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. There's that 14th verse from Ecclesiastes. Talking about the day of judgment and being cast into hell. Now verse 13 was that to maximize life and not be vexed and frustrated was to fear God as well. But there's both, and we want to remember both. And this fear of God, we know the Lord Jesus Christ has died for our sins, that we will not be cast into hell. But if you want to live presumptuously, if you want to live profanely, if you want to live like the world, then there's a message for you. You better be afraid. 
Because a day's coming in which you're going to meet a God that cannot just kill the body, but He can cast both body and soul into hell. But we don't need to be cowering in a corner nor afraid of that judgment because perfect love casts out fear, as I've taught before, and we can trust Him who has sent His Son to die for us that that is not our end and we can make our calling and election sure so that we are not afraid. Let's come over to Hebrews 12. See, we're taking a little survey on this particular pass through the Bible to see the fear of the Lord in both Testaments. Hebrews chapter 12. Nothing has changed. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 28. Wherefore, because that prophecy of Haggai chapter 2 that Paul is referring to in verses 26 and 27 has been fulfilled, because it has been fulfilled, wherefore, we have a result. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, this is the New Testament kingdom of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. There's devilish fear. The devils would fall at the feet of Jesus and worship Him and say, we know who Thou art. Thou art the Holy One of God. Art Thou come to torment us before the time? What's the only thought they have? Torment. God's going to torment me. That's a devilish fear. Godly fear doesn't result that way. Godly fear runs to the Lord, is thankful to be part of His kingdom, is thankful that God's electing grace put us in His family, and we serve Him, we worship Him, we love Him, we follow Him, we stand in awe of Him, and we don't sin. For our God is a consuming fire quoted out of Deuteronomy. God hasn't changed at all. And that is why in our church, because of all these verses, and this one in particular, we try to have sober assemblies. Because God wants to be worshipped acceptably. Acceptable worship requires this. Reverence and godly fear. We want to stand in awe of Him. We want to humble ourselves before Him. We want to recognize and acknowledge the great distance between Him and us. And so properly worship Him as He tells us. The fear of the Lord is talked about throughout the pages of the Bible. Over and over, all kinds of different combinations of words. The fear of the Lord, feared God, fearing God, fearest God, and so forth. Throughout the pages of Scripture, this is a common theme. Solomon concluded, just as I showed you in Ecclesiastes 12, that it's the most important trait to acquire in preparation for judgment. We live in a generation where there is no fear of God or any authority. So we have to fight against the current. We're trying to row the gospel boat upstream as the water rushes downstream against the fear of any authority and the fear of God. So we have the world against us, and I mean the Christian world against us. The world, even some Christians, love the mantra, no fear. You know, they wear t-shirts, no fear. Even hell's devils have more sense than that. They would come and fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed and trembled 
The Bible tells us in James 2.19, Many find God and the word fear totally incompatible, for all they know is the loving caricature that they have created. This past week I sent you a link, I sent you a number of links, under a title of Charismatic Junk. Now if you took a few minutes to click on a few of those links, you realize that there are a great number of people who claim to be full of the Holy Ghost and they've got the anointing that don't know anything about the fear of God or reverence at all. At all. They're totally bankrupt when it comes to the God of the Bible. We want to remember that. It showed clearly that they don't have a fear of God and we want to have it. I want to increase your fear of God so that this next week you live more victoriously because you circumcise the foreskin of your heart because you cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit and because you're going to stand in awe and sin not. That is our purpose today. That's the purpose for me. It's the purpose for you. It's what God wants us to accomplish today in the Word of God is to be stirred up to make everything centered around the God of heaven, the Lord Almighty, Jehovah of the Bible, that we would stand in awe of Him and not sin. Well, we've looked at a number of reasons why we should fear the Lord. Deuteronomy 10, it's what God requires of us. Proverbs 19.23, it has three precious promises attached. Ecclesiastes 12, it's the conclusion of the whole matter. It's the whole duty of man. And it prepares us for the day of judgment. And it's the acceptable way of worshiping God. Look at Psalm 34. Okay, let's continue our survey and look at Psalm 34. And let's be a people that fear the Lord more than anyone else. Not for our praise, but for God's glory and His promised blessings. God knows when He attaches a promise to a commandment. It wasn't a slip of His pen. Moses or David didn't slip it in on God. That's why in Exodus chapter 20, when it says, Honor thy parents, that it may go well with thee, Paul quotes it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 6 and says, It's the first commandment with promise. God knows when He attaches promised blessings to His commandments. That's how I read the Bible. That's how I've always taught you the Bible. That when there are promises there, they're not loosely attached. They're not the inventions of men. They're real. They're real. They're more real than gravity. Because His promises will overcome gravity, and gravity cannot overcome His promises. He will overcome all gravity. Jesus already did overcome gravity. And he didn't need an Apollo rocket to get him launched. He just levitated into heaven right out of the presence of the apostles. I love these promises. And when when we read them, you should believe them. Because the fear of the Lord, according to, to Psalm 33, included trusting in Him. Trusting in His mercy. Trusting in His protection. It's part of the fear of the Lord because we respect Him as God. When we fear Him. That He's able to take care of us. No matter how frightening it looks with a king and a great multitude or with the strength of a horse or a mighty man. David's men didn't care, did they? Some of them truly feared the Lord. You know, they would take on 600 men and slay them at one time with a spear. They would jump down into a pit with two 
wild men and lion-like men of Moab. One, one of David's mighty men would jump down in there and tear those two men to pieces. Right. Why? They feared the Lord. What does fear the Lord mean? It means to trust Him, that His power is with you so that you don't have to be afraid of men. That's how you're lifting Him up. In fear and awe and reverence. I want to make it as positive as the Bible makes it. There is that side, but listen, if we're standing in awe and not sinning, you know what the last thing you need to be thinking about is? The fear of being judged and thrown into hell. That's really mixed up. Don't think that way. God's not like that. God is faithful and true in all of His promises. He was whispering to you last night, I love you. I love you. When He whispers, the house shakes a little. But He was whispering that He loved you. Oh, I love there were a couple last night that you could hear. I mean, there was one. I'm, I wish I had counted at least 15 seconds. I could hear it rolling across Greenville County. Just getting a little bit weaker, a little bit weaker. But boy, it was mm, the voice of the Lord. No wonder the hinds calve. I guess if I was pregnant, I'd have calved last night too. But uh, that's what it says in Proverbs, in Psalm 29. Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Now, when we're reading the Bible and we read verse 9 that says the fear of the Lord... Shall not want, those that fear the Lord shall not want any good thing. And then in verse 10 it says they shall not want any good thing. But what does it say is the character trait of those that are in verse 10 so that we can understand a little bit more about fearing the Lord? Seeking the Lord. That's loving Him. That's walking with Him. That's serving Him. It's not running in a corner or in a closet or under the bed and cowering from Him. It's delighting in Him. But the point I want here is the promise. There is no want to them that fear Him. What do you want? What do you need in your life? What are you short of? There's no want of things that would be good for you according to the perfect will of God if you fear Him. Look at Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. We're taking a survey of why we would want to fear the Lord. Because there are benefits attached to it in the pages of Scripture. Proverbs 15.16 Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Now that makes the fear of the Lord a very positive thing that the positive thing of the fear of the Lord can make up for the lack of comfortable things in your life. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Because the fear of the Lord has peace with it. When you truly fear God, respect Him, trust Him, delight in Him, you know that nothing can hurt you. But if you don't have, if you have treasure and you have trouble in your life, that isn't a good combination. That's an inferior combination to not having anything but trusting the Lord to take care of you. Because to be trusting the Lord, delighting in Him, standing in awe of Him, that is just a wonderful way to live regardless of circumstances or the amount of stuff you have or the amount of relationships you have. Because you've got the Lord. You're walking with Him. You're serving Him. You're loving Him. You're fearing Him, as Deuteronomy 10.12 told us. 
Look at Proverbs 22. <clears throat> I mean, is this, is this real? Is this verse real? Proverbs 22 and verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Is that real? <clears throat> I can't tell by looking at my audience. <clears throat> I believe it's real because it's in the pages of Scripture. I believe it's real for other reasons because I've experienced it and known it in my life that to the degree I'm fearing the Lord and making Him the end all of my life and the center and crown and foundation criteria and standard and measure of my life, all these things come to pass. But that isn't what I preach to you. I preach to you the Word of God and it says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Those that delight in the Lord, stand in awe of Him, and, and don't sin and perfect holiness in the fear of God, they will be blessed. They will be blessed in these measures. Riches and honor and life. The good life. Look at Psalm 128. Psalm 128, which some of you may have read last evening as well, that was suggested as a psalm on this great subject. Psalm 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. <clears throat> blessed. What does it mean to fear the Lord, Pastor? I want that blessing. Stand in awe and sin not. Let Him so govern your life as you delight in Him and seek to know Him and walk with Him that you stop sinning and you purify yourself and cleanse yourself in the flesh, your body, your outward actions, and your inside thoughts, motives, ambitions, and desires you'll be blessed. That's what it is. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. Not blessed are some of those that fear the Lord. Not blessed is one of those that fear the Lord, like the Lord Jesus. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. Notice in this verse, what is, by connection, shown to be the definition of fearing the Lord. Walking in His ways. Stand in awe and sin not. What did the Lord require of thee? To fear the Lord thy God. And to walk with Him, and to love Him, and to serve Him, and to keep His commandments. What did Solomon say? Fear God and keep His commandments. What do we have here? Fear the Lord, walk in His ways. I want to send us out of here today, having been in the house of the Lord, with the God of heaven speaking to you through His ambassador, and His word, and by His spirit, that we will make God a more central figure today and tomorrow than He was yesterday. And that we will cleanse ourselves from anything that is spotting us. Okay, what's, what kind of blessings are you talking about, David? Get real with us. Get specific. Verse 2, For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. You won't be on welfare. You'll be working and prospering. You'll have fields that will be growing up and being harvested. Enemies will not be coming in and eating them. Standing armies in the time of David and the writers of Scripture consumed all the food of a nation. If there was a standing army of 500,000, uh, an occupying army of 500,000 men, they would just gather everything that they could find and eat your produce. Produce. They would empty your barn. Your silo would be empty when they got done with you. Your, your herds would be gone. You know, all you, all you Southerners, please just close your ears for the next minute. You know, we had a general, no, not we, they, they, sorry. They had a general that started in New Orleans and worked his way up to Atlanta and then to Columbia, then over to Charleston, back to Columbia, up into North Carolina. Um, 
you know, and 60 miles wide, 60 miles wide, they ate every single thing that they found and left the, the whole place ravaged and poor. And there wasn't much here anyway because they'd already eaten it, feeding their own army. But the Bible often describes, if you don't fear me and keep my commandments, you'll plant and another will eat. And you know what that is? That's an army in your nation feeding their soldiers. So you will have planted and you will have cared for your fields and your acres, but it's not going to make it to your table. But this, see, this is God's protection. I just want to, I just wanted to elaborate a little bit on the words, thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. God will bless you, will not be taken away. It will not be taken away by taxation. It will not be taken away by robbery. It will not be taken away by an occupying army. Happy shalt thou be. I told you it was the good life. Happy shalt thou be. I just don't believe that Christians can be happy. You're not a Christian. That's okay. For the Christians in the room, there's happiness. And it doesn't come from things. And it doesn't come from relationships. It doesn't come from children or your flowers growing well. It comes from knowing the Lord and fearing God, standing in awe of Him. Happy shalt thou be. You know, four little words, but it's consistent with everything else I've shown you the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. What life? The good life. A happy life. It shall be well with thee. What else do you want in the way of blessings than verse 2? You will work hard and be and get it and bring it home. Taxes, robbers, armies will not take it away from you. You'll be happy and your life will go well. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Especially... In an agrarian society like Israel, having many children to take care of the many acres that a blessed man would be accumulating was another huge blessing. She's just going to be producing this army for you to direct every morning at the breakfast table. Sons, you'd have to speak loudly because the table would be long. Sons, we have to do the back 40 today. But there would be the sons there to do the back 40. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Notice, this is by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God knows full well that in verses 2 and 3, He has given specific blessings that fill out the word of blessing in the first verse, and He repeats it in the fourth verse. He knows He just made promises. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. And He he doesn't stop, because if you're fearing the Lord, there's more to come. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. That is his church. And thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem. That is his church and his city and his habitation all the days of thy life. Yea, let me give you some specifics. Thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. You will see your children's children benefiting and basking in the glow of Jerusalem and Zion, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will see peace upon it as we have this day. Thank you, blessed God, for all your loving kindness toward us. Now quickly, Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. When you when you fear the Lord the right way, standing in awe of Him, trusting Him, hoping in His mercy, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Do you have strong confidence going into the election of 2016? Do you have strong confidence with President Obama as the leader of this nation? Do you have strong confidence 
In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And His children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. It is a confident, secure lifestyle and a place to hide and to go and to turn your thoughts and cares and worries over to the Lord for He careth for you and He's in charge. 10.27 of Proverbs as well. You say there's a lot in Proverbs. Yes! Love this book for the fear of the Lord. 10.27 The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. You can do far more with Proverbs 10.27 than with GNC. Going to GNC and buying their synthetic stuff that all it does is makes it fluorescent yellow before you hit the silver lever. I remember the first doctor that I wanted to impress with my megavitamin therapy um, wanted to ask me if when I turned the lights off, did it glow? Uh, and you know what? It did. Forget all that. Jury, disregard the last two remarks and accept this one. Verse 27, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The, the single most advantageous thing you can do for extending your life is not nutrition, diet, exercise, doctors, whether traditional or alternative, it's right here. The fear of the Lord. To make Him your stay, make Him your hope, make Him your confidence, make Him the delight of, of your life. Psalm 145. Back a few pages to Psalm 145. I'm almost done for this assembly. Brethren, embrace the fear of the Lord and all the promises that God has attached to it. Psalm 145 and verse 19 he will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. If we compare those two verses, how is the fear of the Lord defined? By the 20th verse. By loving Him. Because loving Him and fearing Him are so compatible with each other. But the wicked... So we've got the contrast being the wicked. Fearing God in verse 19, loving Him in verse 20, are both contrasted to being wicked. Because if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. If you fear Me, you'll stand in awe and sin not. It is the righteous lifestyle of those that make God the center of their lives. The most important object of their living their thoughts. They commune with their hearts upon their bed about Him. This is what the Lord has for you today. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.